welcome to Mind Body Success with your hosts, Allison Swerdloff and Dr. Lisa Hart. Listen along as we take you on a life-changing journey into creating success by incorporating mindfulness, self-care, mindset, and personal development. Open your mind, let your adventurous side out, and allow us to motivate you to remove the hustle and overwhelm while shifting your current reality to the life of your dreams. Through conversations with high achievers, you will learn tips, tools, and strategies to overcome challenges and live a life of prosperity and abundance. Let the adventure begin. Welcome to this episode of Mind Body Success. Lisa and I are excited to be joined by Lindsay Berman. He is a, of course, a husband and father, as well as being an educator, trauma coach, and counselor. He has worked as a social worker and has recent, more recently started coaching. And we're going to hear a little bit more about his story and how he came into this and how his mindset and everything comes into play. So Lindsay, welcome. Thank you for joining us here at Mind Body Success. We're excited to have you as a guest. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Lindsay, I was reviewing your bio and I've never heard anyone else refer to going into the swamp. And I, I was very intrigued. I was wondering, um, you described working through trauma as going into the swamp. So tell me more about that. Okay. So um, I did a three-year experiential psychotherapy training in 1999. And I had been looking at this ad in this little kind of um, alternative health magazine for quite a few years. And then one day I thought, this is really intriguing me. So I called them. I met with one of the uh, founders of the schools. And uh, he said to me, uh, I think you'll be a great fit. Just know that we are very much hands-on. So in order to you know, be a psychotherapist, you have to also be a client. I said, perfect. I've been running from my own stuff for decades. And one day I was doing some work with him, like within the classroom setting. And he said to me, you know, um, he goes, I know you want to do this big piece of work around shame. And I said, I do. And he said, well, I want to share with you that the work that we do here, he goes, I often refer to it as a swamp. And I said, okay. He goes, what I mean by that is, he goes, you know, you have to kind of go into the swamp and look at your own shit. Excuse my language. And I said, yeah, I said, that makes sense. I said, because there, there isn't a shortcut to doing that work. So you do have to go into the swamp. You do have to look at your own stuff. You have to process your own stuff. You have to look at your own stuff. You have to deal with your own stuff. And then for me, it was about what's worthy of leaving behind. And are there any gifts that I can take with me moving forward? Now, having said that, there were many trips into the swamp. It wasn't just like I did this work one time and I was healed and all that. I actually was seeing a, a therapist after I graduated from that program for about a year. So I think for me, the swamp is really like, it's, you know, it's looking at your stuff. There's, there's no shortcut to doing that inner work. You, mm -hmm. you can't go around the swamp. You can't go over. You can't, you got to go in it. You got to feel your stuff, process it, and then move forward. That makes a lot of sense. Very interesting. Well, it worked for me and it's worked, and it's worked for, for some of my clients as well. So I'm just a very big believer. I always say to people up front, there's no shortcut to your healing. I don't have a timeline. 
we might we might get you where you want to be in six sessions. It might take six months. It really depends how because everybody operates differently. I look at it as like an onion. So you peel away that first layer. Mm-hmm. Some people are ready to peel away the next. Often people are very resistant. So you have to find another route to help them and support them and guide them to feel comfortable because they're supported to peel that next layer. And then eventually go as deep as we can to get to the root. Very true. Now, how did you move into, after being a social worker for a number of years, how did you move into becoming a trauma coach? And exactly what does that mean? So, well, I moved into becoming a trauma coach because of my own personal experiences. And as a man who has uh, worked very hard to get to where I'm at personally and professionally, and being involved in a number of different men's groups and talking to different men, I came to realize that there are a lot of men, not all, but a lot of men, I don't have an exact percentage, that are really stuck in their egos. And they've kind of bought into this, I, I call it like the ideology or the philosophy of, you know, I'm a man, I need to be strong, men don't cry, grow a pair, all this, what I call nonsense. So I thought, you know, it would be really good for me to serve men who are open and want to work through their emotional baggage that they've oftentimes been carrying around for decades. So that was, uh, that's what brought me to doing the trauma coaching. Because I think there's a lot of men that want the help, don't know how to go about doing it, mm-hmm. uh, are resistant to allowing themselves to be vulnerable. Because like I said, you know, men don't cry, men are strong. Men, and like that, that whole mindset is not serving a lot of men. Right. Is there any particular type of trauma that you focus on? Well, I focus primarily on childhood trauma, but I don't exclusively, I I try to keep very flexible with what type, but most of it is childhood trauma. I did some work with a gentleman uh, a few months back and it was with him, it was all about something his mother had said to him and he kind of, I mean, he was five years old, so he had believed what she said and he kind of interjected that that um that word and basically started living accordingly because he believed that that was the truth so we spent about three hours doing a session and there was a big shift afterwards and i said well that's what we want i said we're not done but at least we've moved from a to b and lots of crying and i said great i said this is this is what we want like you know i always say if men aren't supposed to cry then why did god give us tears because there are so many men that are afraid to show their emotions for all the reasons I've, I've previously shared. Mm-hmm. So I'm just all about trying to get men to realize that my personal belief is the real man does give himself permission to cry. The real man does give himself to uh, permission to feel vulnerable. The real man allows himself to feel his feelings without worrying about anybody on the outside judging him. Because it doesn't matter what other people think. There, right. There's always going to be someone that judges you. You have to be able to separate yourself and say, but it's not for me to take that judgment on. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm where I'm at, because in that psychotherapy training, a different scenario where I was also doing a piece of work. And I said, I think I'm going to be judged by my peers. And the therapist said, you will, but you can't let that stop you. And I said, you're right. Let's do the work. And I never forgot that. That's very smart. Something that you mentioned in your bio is that you have learned you need to be intentional and deliberate in your thoughts, actions, feelings, and beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that 
to me goes along with mindfulness. Can you explain how that works in your life? What you mean by intentional and deliberate in what you do? The intentional and deliberate in relation to mindset for me is all about uh, not living my life on autopilot because I lived my life on autopilot for a long time. And I'm not saying I'm not completely clear of it, but the mindfulness is about, you know, when I get up in the morning, I pause. And that, that, that word pause has been a big thing in my life for the last couple of years. Pause in regards to something happens. So if I take two seconds to pause, now I get to consciously make a choice to respond versus react. And that in itself to me is mindfulness in and of itself. It's just stopping, staying present in that moment and then making a conscious choice versus reacting on autopilot and then realizing afterwards, oh, had I just taken five seconds, I might've been able to respond differently. So the mindfulness for me is, you know, I've been meditating on and off for 20 years. I've been doing the mindfulness on and off for 20 years. And it's interesting because different people have different takes. My whole thing is that the mindfulness isn't just a, a moment in the day. It's, it's an actual practice from the time you wake up until you go to bed. Mm-hmm. So I'm mindful when I'm eating. I'm mindful uh, when I'm getting dressed. I'm mindful when I'm brushing my teeth. I'm mindful when I'm washing dishes, doing laundry. I try to be very conscious and deliberate and intentional with the you know, tiny little choices I have to make throughout the day. So then I can look back on the day and say, you know, this day was a success because I did choose A, B, and C as opposed to putting my head on the pillow at night and saying, well, I didn't get anything done today. Gee, I wonder why. Well, because I didn't make any conscious choices. I just ran on autopilot and just kind of, you know, went where, whichever way the wind blew. So I think there's a lot to be said and it's a discipline, you know, it's a discipline to consciously remind yourself to be present It's a discipline to constantly remind yourself to say, I'm going to take those five seconds and pause and choose as opposed to just reacting on an unconscious level, right? You know, the research says we use 5% of our brain, 95% of our life is is running on a subconscious level. Very true. You bring that mindfulness practice in and you become intentional, deliberate with your actions and your thoughts and your feelings I don't have the statistics or, or the percentages and, and what happens in the subconscious. All I know is there's a difference in how I carry myself. And I'm much more happier when I'm operating from that place than just running on autopilot. What about mindset? You know, I also saw you, the quote from Buddha, uh, we become what we think about. And I'm very interested in mindset. How does that play into your practice uh, with your clients and your own life uh well in my own life it goes the mindset to me is kind of tied with the with the mindfulness so I won't go into a long long story I think I shared in the bio I had a very troubled childhood and I had a very troublesome time in school and when I was 15 the vice principal said to me we either have to expel you you have to voluntarily drop it I was definitely not doing what I was supposed to be doing And I was very hard on myself for the next 20 years. I traveled and I worked and I I was always employed and traveling, but I was very hard on myself. And I remember coming home one night, I was living up at my grandparents' farm and I thought to myself, you know, I want more. There's there's nothing wrong with being a waiter, but if I'm going to be a waiter, I want to go be a waiter making $75,000 a year as opposed to $20,000 a year. 
And I started to kind of talk with myself and say to myself, you know, yes, you've made some bad choices and yes, you've made mistakes and you've probably made thousands of mistakes, but at the core of who you are, Lindsay, you know, you're not a bad person. So go for what you want. So the mindset for me is it's imperative, especially since I've, I had this brain injury that, you know, we, we have the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. So I was in fixed mindset for a long time, playing victim, making excuses. It's always someone else is doing other than mine. The growth mindset, which is where I try to live my life, is all about being accountable to yourself, taking responsibility for all your actions and choices. And I guess the most simplistic way I can say it is, you know, in that growth mindset, where there's a will, there's a way. So it's never about, um, nothing's impossible. You just have to kind of get in the right mindset. And when you're in that mindset, I think you can do anything. I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Nick. Are you familiar with Nick Vujicic? No. no. So Nick Vujicic, I'll just tell you quickly because it kind of, kind of ties into why I stay the way I do. Nick Vujicic was born with no arms and no legs. Oh, yes, I have heard of him. He's spoken at a number of events. Married, he has kids, swims. He, he lives a fantastic life. So anytime I have a little pity party for me, I always say to myself, but look at Nick Vujicic. Look, look at the cards he was dealt with when he was born. Right. And look at the life he created for himself. So if he can do it, you can do anything you want. You just have to stay in a growth mindset and not a fixed mindset. I don't think much happens in a fixed mindset. There isn't much growth there. But when you shift from fixed to growth, you open up the possibilities that anything's possible as long as you believe it. And that's, that's everything. I believe very strongly that my beliefs, my thoughts, my actions, and the images I hold are what create my life. And that's something that I always share with my clients. I always say to them, listen, any changes you want to see in your outside world, it starts on the inside first. Because whatever we see outside of our, in, in the external world, is a direct reflection of everything we think, act, feel, believe in the images we hold. So going back to what you were saying, Lisa, about the quote from Buddha, if I wake up every day and I say some affirmations, some positive affirmations, and I'm mindful throughout the day, and I put my mental energy on the things that I want to achieve, and my emotional energy is going in that same area, then eventually, I believe we do become what we think about. And so when I look back, when I first dropped out of high school up until my mid-30s, I look at that 20 years and I'm like, well, no wonder those 20 years were the way they were. I was in a fixed mindset. I kept playing the same stories over and over and over. The belief system never changed. I still didn't think good of myself and, you know, no self-esteem. No, like So I was a byproduct of, of my own belief system, literally. Right. So I hope that answered your question. Oh, beautifully, yes. Now, I have a question for you regarding something you had mentioned. You mentioned about brain injury. Are yes. you willing to discuss that? Sure. Yeah. So it was January 4th, 2019. My daughter, my wife, and I were going to go up north skiing. And I had gone in the basement to get the ski equipment, which was under a crawl space, which I've done many times. And that particular morning, I guess I just wasn't 100% present. And next thing I know, I just was like, 
And I was like, ow. And then I yelled a couple of um, not so pleasant words. <laughs> and my daughter and wife came down. They said, are you okay? And I said, did you hear me yell those words? They're like, yeah, I go, I'm not okay. And long story short, what happened was I had smashed my head into a two by four. But what I didn't realize till a couple of days later was that there were six nails in that two by four, but one of them was out by about two millimeters. And I literally hit the crown of my head on that nail because when I first hit contact and I went to feel and there was blood and my wife said, well, you cut it on the wood. I go, the wood is smooth. There's no possible way I cut my head on the wood. But then two days later, I saw that there were nails in that piece of wood. So that was very painful. And it was hard. I was off for a year and a half. Um, I went back to work because I I teach full time. I'm a special education teacher. I went back to work September of uh, 2020. And there's still challenging times. My biggest challenges right now are my short term memory. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes my processing speed and balance, focus and coordination. Now, Having said all that, you know, like I said, I'll be 56 next week. And my mother was like, you know, well, when are you going to get better? When are you going to get better? And then on, like, you know, a mother's a mother. And one day I said to her, listen, I said, I'm not saying this to be a martyr. I said, but I want to give you context so you stop worrying. Right. I said, yes, I'm in pain. Yes, I have pounding headaches, but I can feed myself, clothe myself, bathe myself. I can drive. I can do everything I did before, just certain things I have to do slower. I said, my point is, mom, In the big picture, I'm still a thousand times better than billions of people on this planet. So don't worry. Like, I'll be okay. It's not the end of the world. It could have been 10 times worse. And it wasn't, thank God. So I just say to myself, you know what? If that's kind of the the proverbial cross I have to bear, it ain't too bad. So I don't complain about it, you know? And And I try not to, you know, use it as an excuse. And I try to just... You know, say to myself, you know, do what you have to do. And when you need to rest, you rest, you know, and I do. And I do. I'll probably have a nap on average every day because at some point it's too much mentally for me. So I listen to my body and I listen to my mind and my mind says, you know what? Like I was listening to a webinar a couple of days ago and after an hour and a half, I had to just leave. I was just like, there's I'm so saturated with all like there's no more room. I need Mm -hmm. to just step away. And I did. And then I, I watched the replay later. And you'll be able to use your story to help others in similar circumstances. Well, yeah, because I think what happens is sometimes, you know, we fall into this victim mode and then we go, we, we slide back into that fixed mindset. And it's like, woe is me, poor me. Well, you know, I had a brain injury, so I can't do this. And I had a brain and I can't do that. And it's like, at some point you got to kind of say, yes, you had the brain injury. And now what? Right. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like complain for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. Nothing changes like that. Just like anybody with a chronic illness of any kind, whether it's a hidden disability or physical or a visual disability that people can see, it's the same situation. 100%. Yeah. And and the people that have the invisible ones, I, I was just reading something about this recently. I think often some of them are not reaching out or connecting with other people to help themselves feel a bit better about what what they're going through because because it is silent a lot of them just deal with it on their own and or they allow it to identify to become their identity instead of overpowering the identity that it gives you 
Yeah, exactly. Right? Like if, if someone's an alcoholic or, or a recovering alcoholic, that's a part of who they are. Right. They are not just an alcoholic and that's it. You know, I always say like, you know, we're like diamonds. There's many, many sides to us. And one of the things that I've been working on over the last couple of years is really embracing the entirety of me as a human being, the good, the bad, the ugly, the light, the dark, and anything in between, because that's how I'm going to feel whole. And that's how I can give myself self-love, self-acceptance, have self-respect. Right. No one, no one can give me those things. I have to give those things to myself. Very true. And that's another thing that I do with my clients is share with them. Listen, I will guide, facilitate, support you. But you've got to do the work to get to where you want to be. I can't do that for you. Yeah. And they have to do the work. I've had clients that I, I initially started work with. And it's kind of like, soon as like, I'm hoping they'll take that next step. They're like, no, stop. I'm like, okay. And I want to remind you really gently that what you want is just on the other side of your fear. So just right. let me help you to push through. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. You know, uh, what's that expression? When the student is ready, the teacher appears. So I don't push it. I'll rephrase it. I don't push. I'll gently encourage, I'll nudge, but I'm very mindful about reading people's body language, listening to their tone. And you know, you know, at, at a certain point, someone's just not ready. So I say, you know what? We'll stop here. We'll try again next week or whatever, whenever the appointment was scheduled for. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I don't want to push people to do things. I want people ideally to generally say, you know what? I'm scared out of my mind, but let's do it. Because mm-hmm. ultimately it will become better for them in the long run, but they have yeah. to realize that. Yeah. And, and listen, one of the things that I've learned is 99% of the fears that I experience as a human being and as a man on this planet, 98% of them are all in my head. When I When I step out and kind of, observe myself from the outside I realize you know what this is all in your mind when you realize that then you can say okay so now I I'm choosing not to buy into that fear and I'm going to go and do what I have to do and even if I'm a little bit nervous or whatever the case may be do it just do it because at least if you do it there's an outcome if Mm -hmm. you don't do it then it's kind of like should have could have would have I regret not doing it. I regret not trying. And life is too short to live with all those regrets. Like, you know, we're here to experience life in its fullest. And you got to take risks sometimes. And sometimes you got to do the things that are scary. You know, and I always say to people, even my students, I say to them, listen, a lot of these little scenarios, it's like 12 seconds or 30 seconds of your life. Like it's gone in two seconds. Just try it. And if it doesn't work, fine. But you got to try that's how we grow. Very true. Now, you're active. You're a teacher. You're a coach. You're a counselor. You're a father, a husband. You're active in your life. What do you do for yourself? What do you do for your self-care? Because self-care is another aspect of success. Absolutely. Uh, I've been writing poetry for 40 years. So I write a lot of poetry. I uh, write a lot of philosophy. I paint. I'm an avid photographer. I love to cook. I like going out in nature. Uh, When the weather's nice, I like to swim, play tennis, golf. And the meditation, for me, like that's a huge part of the Uh, Mm self-care. Having a nap is self-care. Being mindful when I have a 
a sweet tooth. Like I love chocolate. But what I've been doing recently is sometimes, especially if it's late at night, because there's caffeine and chocolate and caffeine keeps me up. So again, it's, it's kind of like the impulse is Lindsay wants chocolate. And then Lindsay stops and pauses and Lindsay says, yes, but it's 930. If you have chocolate now, you will not sleep tonight. Right. What can you choose to eat that will satisfy the craving? Because it's just the sweetness you want instead of the chocolate. But that won't happen if I'm running on autopilot. If I'm running on autopilot, I'll just open up the cupboard, grab, grab a hunk of chocolate and, right? Be done with it and then wonder why you can't sleep. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? Like we, we, we walk through our lives on autopilot and we, you know, I know for me, I'd be asking myself, well, you know, how come I didn't get that job and how come this didn't happen? Well, in hindsight, none of it happened because you weren't present. You were just running on autopilot. And, you know, I, I just really believe that there's a very big difference between running on autopilot and making those deliberate and intentional choices throughout your entire day. Because I think when I do that, I have a much more successful day. And I also feel better. Just in general, I feel better because I feel like I have more control, more conscious control of my life in that moment. Wow. Any more questions? Well, you know, I didn't realize from your bio that you work mostly or maybe exclusively with men. And I think that's just wonderful. I mean, when you were talking about that, I, I thought of many men I have encountered in life who could really benefit from working with you. And I'm sure that's probably the same experience anyone who's listening to this might have. How can people get in touch with you and talk to you more, find out more about whether they'd be a good fit for your program? Yeah, well, I do not have a website up and running yet, but I believed I share with Allison my email and my direct my direct line for my phone number. Well, can you actually say it so this way it will end up in the show notes as well? Absolutely. So my email address is it's all lowercase L as in Lindsay underscore Berman B-E-R-M-A-N at Rogers.com. And my phone number is 416-277-5782. Awesome. This way, our listeners, if they want to reach out to you, find out more about what you do and how you do your work, see if you might be a good fit. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being our guest. This was wonderful. I'm very glad we connected. And Getting your information out to more men is very important. You hear about women working with coaches or being willing to reach out. Men, as you said, are not as willing. So knowing that they have a dedicated coach will definitely be a big benefit. So thank you again for being our guest today. Thank you. you for listening to the mind body success podcast and being part of our amazing community we hope you enjoyed this conversation and gleaned some tidbits that you can incorporate today to start changing your life our goal is to be your guides and we look forward to continuing to provide amazing content don't forget to join in the discussion at mindbodysuccesspodcast.com for full show notes resources and further conversations If you have a specific topic idea, feel free to recommend it. We We look look forward forward to seeing you on our next episode.